Geek Shock. Geek Shock. In your eyes. In your eyes. Okay, the light is wrong. wrong. Right. Your eyes. All I have is my dong. I only have eyes, and I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't, I, uh, fuck it. Only have eyes for you? I only have eyes for your flaws? I don't know. Maybe. But Jeff's not flawed, so, you know. There is that. Do? Everyone has flaws. Do you have flaws. the eyes of a stranger? I have private eyes. They're watching you. Oh, here we go again. <laughs> what about wild eyes? <laughs> You can't hide your lion eyes. Lion eyes, I was going to say. That's a nice These another eyes. One. I've seen a lot of love, but I never yeah, yeah. seen a lot of love like <laughs> you. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 455. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Maple Leaf Matt. And we're here to talk week and geek. Yes. Andy's at the Big E. The Big E. Which used to be the nickname for the Enterprise, the naval vessel. Enterprise. Really? Yep. The Big E? The Big E. The Big E. The, so all this the time nuclear you, Wessel. So all this time you thought he was joining the Navy? Oh, no, because <laughs> I know that the Enterprise was decommissioned a few years ago. Uh, just imagine Andy in the Navy. Just <laughs> in the Navy, you <laughs> get oh, to that, the nuclear weapons that would be, in the Navy. That would be the Navy version of Gomer Pyle USMC, <laughs> where he's like slipping and sliding along the deck, and you know somebody tries it, it. Oh, my God. I just had a thought. <laughs> Uh-oh. What? Uh, you know the the Steven Seagal film Under Siege, where he has to—it's basically Die Hard on the ship, right? Only substitute Andy for Steven Seagal, and he just like slip slides and takes out all the terrorists, or he like trips over something. And so it's basically the Andy zombie movie, but with yeah. terrorists on a boat. Yeah, it'd be like if it'd be like if Mr. Bean was uh, was on the ship, like he accidentally knocked something off, which makes a giant heavy uh, barrel fall on the guy and kill him. That works. Yeah. Yeah, that really had, had works. Have the, the, <laughs> the satellite conversation with the Admiral, and he's like, Oh, I can't damn well control you. And Andy's like, I have no idea what you... <laughs> oh, ow, oh, ow, oh, oh, Somehow he's on the run okay. October. Yeah. <laughs> and oh. they gave him the key to the nuclear weapon, because, <laughs> I don't know. Why? Sure. Just, it's Be- Andy. Just okay? because, because reasons. Andy. Yeah, because Andy. He finds and, and they're getting ready. You know, the the captain's over there with one key. He's got the other key. He slips, breaks the key off in the, <laughs> in the firing mechanism. <laughs> uh oh. Activate it. It's activated. Oh, turns it on. And then and then the full, oh just false alarm. Oh no! Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Missile bays are opening. Can't turn it off because the key's broken off in there. They're reading off the coordinates for the missile. Eight seven A two four three nine. And then uh, at the at like the the timer counts down to one second, and he spills his Guinness on the control board. <laughs> it shorts out, and it just starts blinking one, and the missile and the, stops. The, fire. Mon- the monitor comes up with really, <laughs> <laughs> and a, and then a little digital picture of Matt going with a frustrated look on his and, face, and then like a radar screen is like. You need to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> As it sparks and sputters. It writes itself. Andy yeah. is the clumsy Don Knotts. <laughs> wow. Got that you. Really got you. You. That's casting right out of the Department of Redundancy Department. <laughs> I would love to hear the pitch meeting on that from Screen Rant. There you go. That's it. 
and then he stumbles and falls and trips and takes out all the terrorists. How does he do that? Because reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, and it says here. No, no. It says here. Well, we can't see what it says here. Looks like there's a stain on the script. <laughs> Spilling? Actually, just... you've summed it up. How's uh, he going to do that? Todd? Actually, super easy. Barely an inconvenience. <laughs> Andy is the love child of Don Knotts and Tim Conway. Oh, geez, you're right. <laughs> you're right. That, that, there you go. Wow. Holy shit. We've, dun, had, dun, we've, dun. Had, we've had a breakthrough. <laughs> <laughs> what happened today? We had a breakthrough in group. We finally discovered Andy's origins. <laughs> That's a sort of story, yeah. <laughs> so, gentlemen, what geeky things you do this week? Uh, I finished my Telltale Batman game. Aha! Both both volumes. Just the first volume. I still haven't played the second volume. I did that? Let's see. What else did I oh, do? Well, don't, don't go ahead. How was Batman Telltale? It was a lot of fun. Uh, they, they they definitely uh, it's its own storyline. So it's kind of like a one off Batman uh, not origin story, but a Batman story with some villain origin story, like ah. two, or origin of Two Face and. Catwoman and so forth. Joker so. too, right? Is uh, uh, Joker is in there? He doesn't have ma- he doesn't have makeup on nothing. He's like kind of like a yeah. He's yeah. he's a patient at Arkham, and you just you only briefly see him. So he's 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 more of a they just are introducing the character and hinting that it's the Joker without directly saying it's the Joker. Oh, also the Penguin origin was completely different. That was that was really interesting, and plus the their use of. Basically, uh, Oswald Cobblepot and Bruce Wayne were childhood friends because both their families were wealthy. And then he goes off to boarding school in London, which is why you suddenly get the 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 you know the the British accent for the Joker. But he's a tall, skinny guy as opposed to the short, fat penguin that we're normally used to in the comics. So completely different. Uh, so all the villains stylized. are. This is pre all pre villains, all origin yeah. stories for the uh-huh. villains. Yep. But Batman's already Batman. So yeah, it's... Batman's already Batman. He has been for a while. Uh, in fact, oh. I think they said he's been Batman for about six or eight years in this uh, oh. this particular For a minute there, line. it sounded like Gotham, the video game. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, you know, especially when you have, uh, <laughs> at one point, you have the choice between saving Harvey Dent and, and Selina Kyle, and you're like, well... It seems like nothing I do is going to keep him from becoming Two-Face because I've read the comics. So I chose Selena Kyle, which apparently at the end when it rates how you compare to everybody else in your decision-making, I made the same decision as like 97% of people that played the game. So uh, That but is one uh, thing I love about the Telltale games is it has the whole choose-your-own-adventure and your choices impact the story. Yeah. But after each chapter, it then you, it compares in two ways. It compares your choices against the world, and also compares against the percentage of your friends. So you can see what you chose versus everyone else. What's also great is like the different dialogue choices that you have to make early in the game affect how later in the game you're able to interact with certain characters. Whether you're, you'll be able to appeal to them you know, rationally or emotionally based on your future dialogue choices because you know it like in the upper right left hand corner of the screen it'll say like so and so remember will remember this or you know so and so is offended by that etc so sure. it kind of gives you hints as to whether you picked something that may or may not make a difference later in the game and then later on in the game when you have you know a limited selection of dialogue choices to give 
in a certain situation you're like uh, i'm gonna pick this one and then you hope that you know you've made inroads in friendship etc with the character and then they go okay i'll listen to you this time versus i don't want to hear anything you have to say so right yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I really if you haven't enjoy those. played any of the Telltale games, there are quite a few great ones to choose from. Uh, the Walking Dead is a great part of their series. They did a really good Guardians of the Galaxy one. Uh, Wolf's Hour, based on the Fables comic book series, was excellent. I loved the Back to the Future one. The Back to the Future one was the sequel to Back to the Future three that we'll never get because I mean it's it's it literally is a full on almost two-part movie in that telltale you know that telltale framework and uh it's really cool um i just i can't recommend it enough i think you can get it on the cheap now too so if anybody hasn't played it you can get it for like five dollars and it's probably a good four or five hours worth of gameplay there so definitely worth what you can find it for. I know I saw it um, on sale recently on, uh, well, recently, I mean, like a month or so ago on uh, online, so. But yeah, nobody does story games like Telltale. Nobody. What else did you do this week, gentlemen? Um, I did also get my uh, my Spider-Man PS4 Pro. Here it comes. Um, <laughs> wasn't able to pre-order it, so, of course, didn't think I was going to be able to get one, and I was out to get the, the Spider-Man game for the PlayStation 4 because it just looks amazing. Um, and Friday, I was able to score the PS4 Pro Spider-Man edition. Yeah, you and, scored uh, all right. And uh, it's got the game in there, so I'm going to get to play the game here pretty quick. Rock and I haven't played wow. it yet. Batman was... Uh, yeah, I had to. F- I'm, I, I'm a bit OCD when it comes to games. I have to finish one before I can move on to the other. In most cases, um, Jeff being a bit OCD. No, you don't I know see it's it. hard to believe. Why? You, you don't just see can't it? see it. <laughs> now there are certain times, like Far Cry, because Far Cry is just such a huge game. I've had to put that on the shelf for a little while because there's just so much I still have to do on that sure. one. But and it was frustrating. You yeah, it was. It was getting frustrating for a while because, like, literally, I would walk into an area and the stupid hillbillies would. <laughs> They are hillbillies in the game, so I'm not making a disparaging remark. They're actual hillbillies that come uh, and try to kill you, yeah. and uh, yeah, they, they come in droves. I mean, there's like one shows up, and then suddenly 50 show up out of nowhere, where you might have been in a field somewhere, and there's nothing around for miles, and then suddenly they're all out to kill hey, you. Hey, and, Paul, and there he is. They do kill the you. They do it. They kill you. They overwhelm you. Um, and so it's just it's, it's very slow to level up in Far Cry. And at five, and then, then you can go back and take on some of these missions. But if you try to do the story in story mode in the way that they want you to do it, like the regular progression, you really have to do some of the easier side missions just to buff yourself up. And then even then, you're gonna die four or five times before you get those side missions done. So I just I do plan to go back and play it. I just I had to take a break from it because it was just getting to be too much. There's just too much frustration. Hillbillies in there, walkie-talkies and CBs. Yeah. I'm really disappointed in myself because I just, I, I like RPGs mm-hmm. and I want to jump in them, but I'm, I'm actually fucking sick of stories. I just, on a whim, fired up, uh, picked up my the game of Dragon Age I was playing. Oh, yeah. 
and it I'm in the middle of a of a so then the king went to the you know and I just like I turned it off because I'm like I don't want to sit here and listen to shit <laughs> I just want to go into places and fight stuff and kill things and level up that's all I want to do you know it, I, so I you're, want you're, you're an ARPG guy I, I want a nice I guess are, are there any good games like that Diablo I mean, that's no Diablo Diablo pretty much well no <laughs> Path of Exile but that's the thing Diablo is even like now you must go here and it's like oh fuck I just you know but, uh, couldn't they do a Ruins of Undermountain which is just you, 12 hours of going through a dungeon and that's what you want you want a dungeon crawl yeah beginning I mean, to end I, I you want, want to loot the dungeon I want a modern graphics net hack Says, says the games master that has 50 plus hours of games mapped out for his. Well, well maybe that's the it for D&D. And, and that, maybe that's you part mean, of it. You mean he's blown his story load on taking oh, care of other yeah. people that he just can't to do it himself? Yeah. I can dish it out, but months. he can't take it. <laughs> well, you know what, Jeff? The, I guess that, that's a good point. I think, I mean, when I play... At tabletop, I'm interacting with my friends. We're having fun, but you're a lot. Also, you're also in control of how the story goes. Well, in a lot of respects, well, sure. versus being forced to make mm-hmm. those decisions. But, but the, I have to. I spectate, essentially, in the video game when I run across the smith who's going to give me the story of the ancient whatever the fuck that did the thing with the stuff and now people are all upset about and you got to go get it out of the village next door which happens to be overrun by it's like fuck just just let me go (laughs) uh, i'm here to beat things and i have no time yeah i i just you know i mean some people all right you uh uh todd talks about picking up herbs in skyrim and it's just like Okay, I I you know no I, no you don't get it. He'll spend hours just picking. I herbs do get in it. I, I'm like okay, I don't get it, but okay. I mean, I just that would drive me fucking nuts. I hate puzzles. I got to figure this shit out. Oh, how you know it, uh, where where is this fucking thing? Oh, All right, rem- remind me never to take you to an escape room then when I want to go do that. <laughs> he, he wants his video games exactly the opposite of his D and D. <laughs> I'll go with you. I enjoy that. Right. Actually, uh, well, wait a second. I didn't say I hate escape rooms. Once again, we said that's you live. You, you, I'm you said you friends. you hate puzzles. I puzzles hate. Are, I detest puzzles. But that's all escape rooms are. You uh, escape solve rooms also of puzzles. tend to be tend to be straightforward and and easier puzzles. Ooh, there's a the there's, challenge. In fact, there's a new place in town called Heads Up that has like six escape rooms in it, and they all sound really interesting. We should go do one. I definitely one. want to go do one of those sometime. We should go do one. I guess we should. There aren't any, there aren't any dungeon crawl ones, are there? No. Not, not, not in here Vegas. In not that I'm aware of. Okay. Right. I mean, who knows, because... Escape rooms in Vegas seem to be popping up and disappearing left and right. Yeah. Right. So who knows what's out there right now? Yeah. But maybe we could throw your wants and needs to the monkeys and say, he's, Kay's basically laid out what kind of game he wants fantasy action craziness. And not a scroller. It's got to be on the Xbox 360, right? I'm, yes, for okay. 360. I, uh, we I, just need to get you an Xbox One. 
Yeah. That's what we need. Well, yeah. e- hey. well even so, Christmas I is coming. I can't think of a game on the Xbox One that that scratches this itch. Yeah, but um, yeah, basically, look at Diablo, and realize that I think it's really cool, except for all the talking. And and there you go. I don't like. I don't want a hoppy or a, a side scroller, the the Diablo or the first person. You need you, some leveling up. And yeah, building. You would have. You would have liked Marvel Heroes. Probably. Probably. Not a lot of talking. Like Diablo, but Marvel. Too bad, or they ran it into the ground. But yeah. But yeah, you know, I just. Oh God, dang! I. You know, it's gotten bad enough that I'm like, maybe I should try warcraft and then talk to lewis and matt about you know the thing about warcraft they have everything you ever want and everything you don't want yeah. if that makes sense mm-hmm. nope <laughs> i know it doesn't it's hard <laughs> it makes sense to me <laughs> <laughs> it didn't or did did not oh okay well kind of makes sense to me yeah, that's the, part of the reason why i'd get lewis involved yeah the difference between warcraft and the games you're talking about is that you won't have the wizard guy telling you what you need to do. You'll just have to read it all. Mm-hmm. There, yeah. <laughs> Actually, no. They have voice actors in that game now. Oh, they do and now. The windows pop up. Oh, and you don't have to read it at all. You can do do what you're doing, and it's talking to you. But you don't have to sit there and wait mm-hmm. and click through and wait for them. Yes. Yeah. Paragraph after paragraph. So okay. <sighs> they have the herbing. We're going around picking picking weeds if you want. But it doesn't have herbing yeah. that that satisfies me. So it's got to have a better herbing than that. It's, it's, a, it's a half-ass herbing. That and grinding is like, isn't that, is, isn't, isn't that the, the gay men's dating app? <laughs> right? So Yes. Well, and, and, but you're doing that on video games? and I don't know. Yeah. Everything, it's grinding. It just it gets... Grinding. Yeah, or. grinding. I don't know. I just... That's... I'm just... Eh. It's it's funny because uh, KODT lately has been putting they in inside their com- uh, the games part of their magazine they actually have had a few choose your own adventures. That's Knights of the Round Table. No, Knights of the Dinner Table. Knights of the Dinner yeah. Table, yeah. <clears throat> and they actually have had choose your own adventures. Some people are actually starting to write those again. Fun. And uh, yeah, I would if uh, there are a couple of these. Uh, dungeon crawl board games that they're now trying to give solo rules to oh i would do that all right you know but i i mean yeah i just (sighs) so you're just bored now yeah i know i'm just bored i'm dealing with a lot of things and and dealing with my boredom my ennui is one of them so yeah but uh, <clears throat> yeah, excuse me. But uh, yeah. So that's what I didn't do this week. <laughs> well, this week for me has been just jam packed full of stuff, so I didn't get much time to do anything. But I, the time I did take, I used to read the Lies of Locke Lamora mm. by Scott Lynch, and that is the Geek Shock Book Club book of this month. Da-na-na-na. Three quarters of the way through it, so I'm still not done yet because it is again a pretty large book. Normally, I don't discuss on the show what I feel about a book that we're reading for the book club because I just like to keep that kind of separate. But I have to say, this is one of the best fantasy books I have read in a long time. Have you read it, Kay? 
I started it, but I haven't um I haven't picked it up in a while. So when this was chosen, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll pick it up and uh But yeah, I mean, people people love it. Yeah. If if you want to see how thieves work in a fantasy setting, this is really good. And why well, I've been thinking about UK through this whole thing because it do, does is not your typical western fantasy. Mm-hmm. So there's there is some sorcery to it, but it's kind of minimal. There is some creatures to it, but it's kind of minimal. It's it's it has a real flair of realism, and it's basically about a group of thieves. And I've never seen thieves written so well. And it, what it really does well is characterization. So I'm again, it's a long book, so I don't know when I'm going to be finishing it, but hopefully within the week. And then I'll put my thoughts up on the Geek Shock Book Club Facebook page. <sighs> But man, I mean, in the name of the wind, doesn't come close to this book. Whoa! As far as whoa entertainment value, and just a long form story. Mm-hmm. I mean, name of the wind is fine, but this is better. Mm-hmm. So, what about Game of Thrones? Hmm, that I'd have to weigh. By Grim Martin. Yeah, by Grim Martin. Uh, I, may, I think maybe Game of Thrones is a little bit better. But uh, but again, I've read more books in Game of Thrones than I have. This is the first book. I don't know how many there are in this series. Nor do I know if this is going to wrap up a story by the right. end of this book because I, of it. I think he's he's in the same zone as Rothfuss and, and uh, <clears throat> Martin with the whole, would, would you please finish your fucking series already? <laughs> okay. So... Um, but I'm not entirely sure. I know Scott Lynch has openly talked about suffering from depression okay. and how that can, that can literally be a wall that he comes up against oh, and, sure. and can't do anything. So, Oh, sure. It, it'll, it'll crash you. Yeah. No matter what. It doesn't matter what you're doing, your, your job, your hobbies. When depression hits you, man, it just throws you out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So. Yes, it does. Speaking through experience. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Match, do anything this week? Played WoW. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Damn. Back, back to the lands of the WoW. See, yes. I need to. Yes. Oh, I'm missing out now. Major Matt Are actually you? bought a new computer to play. Wow. wow. See? See? That's that's it right there. I'm like, oh, you're gonna, any old computer will do. And yeah, no, he's no, I still have an eight-year-old computer running it just fine. Mm-hmm. But Lewis is, you know. Well, wants, Lewis is Lewis. Yeah. He wants all the bells and whistles, all the high tweaks. Yeah. If you can get, like, two more FPS, he'll get it. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, uh, you guys have gone out. Have you, have you started wreaking havoc with the, the world of whatever? <laughs> yes, we have. That is We've the name of the many world. many dungeons together, me, Lewis, and my wife, Paulette. Oh, God damn. See... This is what I... Ah, uh, fuck. What, what, what? This is what I could do. <laughs> jo- join your gaming group in a game? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd be with these guys, you know? I mean, I still love the story Lewis tells about the, the guy who was ganking his wife. She, she, she was... Stephanie kept uh, trying to play, and every time she'd pop up, this one asshole was there, and he'd... And Lewis was like, all right, I'll take care of it. And he popped in and just fucked the guy up so bad, the guy actually begged him to stop. 
<laughs> and he was like, so-and-so is my wife. Leave her the fuck alone. And God's like, okay, I will. <laughs> so, you know, so it, you know, it's like, all right, I could play wild like that. Lewis, help. You know, sure. But oh, I, thought you, I thought you meant the other way where you could, you know. Gank, Gank noobs? Yeah. Nah. No. I, nah. That's some of the things they need to play with in the. the, the okay. The, you got a shaman. Uh-oh. You could be a paladin. Here we mm-hmm. go. The south. Be a warrior. You could be a rogue. You could be a monk, mm-hmm. a mage, a warlock, a panda, a hunter, a panda. I think I'm. That's it. There's <laughs> eight classes you can be. And uh, of those eight classes, oh, and a druid. Nine mm-hmm. classes, and a panda. A panda can be whatever. <laughs> That's yeah. a race. That's why I keep saying it because you can be a panda as well. I'm liking the uh, and panda of those thing. classes, each one has three specs. So it says what specializations. So oh. warrior could be like an armed yeah. warrior. Holy shit, fucking... dude! When they started talking one time about WoW, oh yeah, and all the terms it's flying thick. around, yeah, that verbiage is thick. I thought I was doing well because I figured out what the fuck DPS was. No, no, it, it just <coughs> I, I could put a sports stat nerd versus a WoW nerd, and you couldn't understand either one of yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah, really. It's crazy. It's true. I just I just want to fuck shit up. Okay, think of it this way. If you join WoW now, you are the few noobs left out there that have not played this game. Yeah. You you are, are a whole yeah. new world to yeah. you. Actually, yeah. Aside from us jaded people that have played it for years. <laughs> mm. This this could be exciting. Yeah. Did you guys play yesterday? We did. Uh, that's why nobody called asking about gaming or anything. Usually you say, all right, gang, well, what? We're like, has he said anything? Is there anything to you? I'm like, no, no. And Lewis is like, all right, I'm off to Costco. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but not over our phones. He's talking game. Yeah. Man. That's how all the kids are. They, they, they don't text anymore. They don't go on Instagram. They go on WoW to. Yeah. I told you my friend chat. Brian. Who's a game master of the CWs? Mm-hmm. I know him from Ka. He he, he used, plays. Yeah, he, uh, he he played WoW. He knew Paulette. Oh wow! Through WoW. He wow. still plays. Yeah, he logs on. I see him because I'm on. I have him on my Blizzard Real ID. Yeah, it's funny. It's just sitting in the makeup room at Ka, and this kid's like, "Kirsten, do you know Paulette?" <laughs> and I'm like, "What the what the fuck's going say, on? How do you know? Because you know, in entertainment, you're right. used to that chain." But Paulette's not a part of that. Hmm. Where the hell is this coming from? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, we play WoW. And I'm like, ah. And then it was funny. I, When uh, Matt and Paulette came over to see the show, I brought Brian over, not realizing that they had actually never physically seen each other. So they were all like, hey, guys. And uh-huh, yeah, okay. This is Brian, Paulette, Paulette. And then they're like, oh, ah, you know. But That's it was really funny because for, for a beat there, there was like, okay, why am I here? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the part where I get asked for money? Yeah, right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Mm, wow. So you guys, uh, they played. They played, Todd. They, they played, played. Uh, uh, yesterday, apparently. Yeah. Yes. I thought that was game day. He didn't set anything up. <laughs> yeah, no, they, I, I couldn't. <clears throat> oh, okay. I couldn't have done it, but. All right, fair enough. You know. Anything else you do this week? You're talking about D&D stories and all that. We haven't played in months. D&D. Oh. Oh. Ow. To the stab. Ow. From hell's heart, he stabbed yeah. at me. I got a big old 
handprint on my face now. <laughs> uh, I actually just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Toy Wars outside of Escondido, California. Toy Wars? Toy Wars. They are the ones that I got my uh, my Star Trek V, Six phaser, ah. Master Replicas phaser from because they did a fantastic job of shipping it to me. Um, everything was in the original packaging. And no. I mean all of it, like all the interior wrappings and styrofoam inserts. Everything was in pristine condition. Uh, the phaser itself uh, clearly had just been sitting on a shelf um, in the display case that comes with it. And uh, I was just really impressed with uh, the the love and care they put into uh, wrapping that up. And they have a, a website. Uh, website. A website. A website. Do they have a website? Website. Website. Toywars.com. All right, mate. Where's the website? That's a bit cheeky, ain't it? They have some, some pretty good uh, prices on everything. So um, if you're looking at other websites. Oh, yeah, spot and, on their website. And can't find stuff, like, uh, you know, give them, a tr- give, them a tr- you know, give them a look. See if they maybe have what you're looking for at a price you want. So. Oh, wow. A little plug there. They did you yeah. real well. Coupon yeah. code is Geek Shock. <laughs> oh, no, 80s oh. Jeff. 80s Jeff. Right in the bottom there. <laughs> 80s Jeff. You get 8% off. Yeah, lower ca- <laughs> lowercase F. 8%. Lowercase F. So. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you give them love. I love when you give yeah, them love. Yeah, no, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when mm-hmm. people treat me right, I, you know, I'm not getting paid in any way to. Uh, to plug them, I All just right, so wanted this to isn't because like yeah, Paul's thing with NeuroBliss. No, <laughs> no, I just literally wanted to to give them a shout out because they they did right by me, and not not only in the price that I paid for the for the collectible, but you but, know, yeah, they it's just... in fantastic shape. Um, no blemishes, um, and you know the fact that I got all the original packaging, I was not expecting to get any of that. I was expecting to just get the just the piece itself, you know, the piece itself, and the little display case that you know that Master Replicas originally shipped with it, which is a little acrylic uh, display case, and then a base that you put that in. So did they did they really indicate um, in the original product description that it would have all that? Or? They showed the box that it came in, um, but I've had that happen before, with not and to me not personally, that. where but friends of mine that have bought collectibles online and. They all they do is they ship the the item rewrapped with the original box, like you know, on the side. But like all the original inserts and everything were just you know removed and, and are stuffed they, with like newspaper or something. They're in there are uh yeah okay websoit um <laughs> are are they a company company you know a company that um, is online or is this like an eBay dude who's just being very very professional. And got his shit together. Uh, I well, they're they are a toy shop. I, they have a shop out there too, but it seems like they've moved more to an online presence. Um, right. from, well, from what yeah. I've seen, but uh, that's just the nature of you yeah. Know, I know I what it just, takes to survive I was today. Just curious, because there are a lot of I've I've done searches for things for sale, mm-hmm. and lots of times you end up on eBay. And some of them are stores that are selling on eBay, and some of them are just dudes, you know, right? And, and dudettes uh, who who give themselves a nice little company name thing, right? But okay. but uh, yeah, from what I can see on their, I'm on their website right now. Um, you know, they've got a lot of oh, stuff okay. to sell. Cool. Wow, they got a lot of Funkos. Um, <laughs> oh, so they are like a regular the, store. The first thing that popped I, I up on care. here. Um, looks like they even have a rewards program Just too. That's for, it. 
for purchases. Wards program? Yep. Fun coats? Do they have Tarna? Where is this place? Toy Wars? Okay. Oh, you wanted you wanted a coupon code? Here's your coupon code, oh, Kay. Shoot. Save $10 on orders over $50 with code September 10. In stock items only. Oh, boy. There so you there go. you go. Yeah. See, you, you, you forced my hand, Kay, and now I had to go give out the, the coupon code. Yeah, you turned a shout out into a commercial. <laughs> <laughs> really did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've sold out, folks. <laughs> Well, apparently they have more coupon codes, but I'm not even going to go there. Anyway. Yeah, in regards to the Funko front, it's so much easier just to collect one line of them. That's it. You don't want to collect them all? No, fuck that. <laughs> like Pokemon? No, X-Men. For me, anyways, be personal. Uh, I want Tarna. Anything else, gentlemen? All right, before we go into the show proper, we did receive another obituary. So if you, uh, this obituary is for Commander K. Ah! I didn't even know. And it reads thus. Commander K was pronounced dead on Thursday, September 5th, 2045, at Valley Hospital Medical Center. As a long-term associate of the Toro Patient Encounter Program, Commander K was participating in a simulated physician encounter. Unfortunately, it was not until the last session of the day that he was discovered as deceased. The providers had become accustomed to his blue skin discoloration due to years of cosplay as an Endorian. <laughs> he is survived by his life partner, F. Andrew Taylor. <laughs> In lieu of flowers, it is requested that donations be made to the American Institute of Balance Education Foundation for their years of support of his partner's inability to set a glass down without spilling it. <laughs> Hope you like it, Chris the Microscoop. Thank you, Chris. Nice. I love it. That's a great one. That is a good one. So, and if you want to write us an old bit, these are great uh, comments at UglyCouchShow.com. Would I dive again? Aneurysm? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, right. that's, that's, that's you, good. You burst a blood vessel yeah. with Andy. I don't cosplay. That I was forgot. A, how, that how was did a I job. That, one? that was a vocation. It was a calling. No, it's, but yes, but then later on, it's 2045. You got years left. So then that means in that time, you, you missed it so much that you've started redon the Andorian outfits, yeah, and the and the the skin makeup so much that it just sank into your actual skin and gave you that blue pallor that you love so much. You donned it on the twenty fifth anniversary of uh, it closing. <sighs> My ass is just going to outlet if everybody is, and that that's what's going to happen. Because I think I only died in that one obituary. Yeah, yeah, you'll be like Belushi in that that Saturday Night Live, <laughs> dancing dancing in the graveyard. Yeah, <laughs> which is the that's such an ironic. Uh, I, I I watched that again. It almost made me cry because it's like they they all outlived him. And anyway, but yeah. <laughs> Well, Barry used to make the joke that, you know, we, we'd wind up, like, in an old folks' home playing video games and then accusing each other of uh, cheating on the video games. And not just modern video games. We'd be playing, like, the video games from, from our youth. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. It'd be cool to see two, a senior 80s Jeff and Dr. Vlarg playing a VR. <clears throat> that, that needs to be filmed. Yeah. That's what that needs to be. News you don't give a shit about. All right, laid on it. So weird with all the silence. Mattel 
one of the biggest and most popular toy manufacturers in the world, has decided to start its own film production company. It has launched Mattel Films, a new division dedicated to making movies out of the company's best-known toy lines. This seems to be a separate initiative from the Mattel-based movies already in development, such as Barbie and Masters of the Universe, and might be more comparable to what Hasbro has done in recent years. The toy maker has also started its own film division to exercise more creative control over properties like Transformers, G.I. Joe, Power Rangers, and potential offerings like Mask. Mattel has installed producer Robbie Brenner to run the film division, with Brenner, who was nominated for a Best Picture Oscar for 2013's Dallas Buyers Club, reportedly directly to reporting directly to Mattel Chairman Mattel Chairman and CEO Nyon Kreitz. Nyon Kreitz. As for what products Mattel could possibly spin off into movies aside from Barbie and Masters of the Universe, candidates might include, uh, include the iconic toy line Hot Wheels which has been in development at various studios since 2003, the horror-themed Monster High series of dolls and playsets, the fantasy-leaning Ever After High, and superhero action figure Max Steel, already the subject of a disastrous and quickly forgotten 2016. So Mattel, new from Mattel. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't they make a Max Steel movie yeah, they or did. something at some no point? No one remembers it. I, I just vaguely remember because uh, it has the same name as, uh, 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 help me out, Kirsten. Is uh, that Porno Guy? Our friend from Star Trek oh. that, that came in and pitched his movie that was Max Steel, the animated film. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, 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 uh, Philip. Phil, thank you. Max Adventure. Yeah, Max Adventure. I remember when that was making the rounds. Okay. Yeah. That's- that's right. It's not the same name, but I keep confusing the two. Right. That's what I was... Okay. I'm guessing Max Adventure is probably better. <clears throat> Any thoughts on Mattel products that you want made into a movie? Uh, huh. Well, if they could get the right studio behind it, I could see Masters of the Universe working out. Uh, you know, it's already... I know that's been in development for, for, what, like 10 years now? Sure, and it, it's... But, I mean, it's an active development, but they just yeah. keep losing directors. They keep losing directors because uh, they have the script pretty much locked, but they keep putting in for rewrites and stuff, or they bring in, like, new writers with the same director, and then they want to rework it, and then they lose the director and that writer, and it's... The new director comes still, in, yeah. they write more on it, and... It's well, still that's how you make a good movie, They people. already made a great Masters of the Universe in the 80s. It's so bad, it's good. <laughs> so... I have still not seen. Oh, it's no? so bad. A He-Man movie. But it's good. <laughs> I, I, I watched uh, that documentary on Masters of the Universe on Netflix the other day, the one that, that uh, Andy had mentioned. And they actually do interview both Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella and get their perspectives on it. And it's really kind of sad. I mean, like Langella still likes the role. He really enjoyed it. And he you know he's grateful that he got to portray that role. Um, and he and Dolph were talking about how, you know, independently, because they're clearly in two different cities when they're doing the interviews about how they had practiced and practiced for this big fight scene that was supposed to be at the very end. But because they shot the film consecutively, which you don't normally do with a, a big budget film like Wait, that, they, they shot it in order. Yeah, really? Yeah, that's nuts. Isn't it nuts? Well, that's Canon Group, and of course, you know, if you ever watched the. The documentary about the film and how it tanked, uh, you'll, you'll see why. 
but uh, because they ran out of funding right at the end, and uh, so this great big fight turned into this really quick, um, you know, and, and the, the the crew is not sure what to do. The camera is not sure what to do. Um, the director's trying really hard to hold everything together when there's no money to pay anybody with and all this other stuff that was going on. And, you know, the fact that the film actually <coughs> made it into the theaters at all is actually quite a tribute. And to, I'm glad it did because yeah. it was awesome. You give it lots of love. It's so bad. It's awesome. Yeah. 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 What's your favorite part? I can't even remember at this point. The fight scene at the end. Yeah, the fight scene, the fight <laughs> scene it, in the end. It is a movie I would but love to see. I haven't see. seen it in many years, but what I remember, it's so bad, it's good. I would love to see Riff Tracks or the the new MST3K take a, take a, take a shot at that. They didn't do it? They haven't done it? I think they did a Riff Tracks like, recording like that you can download oh. the recording, mm-hmm. but I'd love to see them do a theatrical um, All right, Which Which movie it. is better... Slash more entertaining, Masters of the Universe or Crawl. They're both entertaining for different reasons. <laughs> I've never seen the uh, the second one though. Crawl, you haven't seen. I've no, seen it either. either. That's why I'm. Wondering. I was trying to get him to go see Crawl with Rift Tracks, but I think you had to work that day. That that, 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 that came did. out, yeah. Because Rift Tracks live always happens on a Thursday, and yeah. I always work on a Thursday. Yep, it sucks. All right, so Mattel, lots of gold. Coming your way from old toy lines. I love gold. News you don't give a shit about. Toy maker, uh, is it NECA or NECA? N-E-C-A. I think it's NECA. NECA. I think it's NECA. Okay. NECA is releasing Chia Pets based on Netflix hit sci-fi horror series Stranger Things and a host of other pop culture staples, including Rick and Morty, Ghostbusters, Predator, Gremlins, and Groot. From Guardians of the Galaxy. That one actually sounds kind of cool. I am Groot. The, the Groot and Predator. Groot yeah. Chia Pet. Yeah. For Stranger Things fans, Dustin's Wild Mane is growable in the form of those terracotta figurines from the 80s that sprout leafy green chia plants in a matter of weeks. Uh, NECA, which bought the chia brand along with the clapper earlier this year, unveiled the new line via Nerdist. I did not know that. I did. What is NECA going to do with the clapper? Mm-hmm. Although those old commercials for those are hilarious, like right. But <laughs> if you think about it, you're, if you're buying the clapper, that means you're you're buying that because that's proprietary technology, right? Right. That's that's a you're you're getting the full license to do. So your toys might be clap activated before long. It's true, NECA. So that's kind of cool, uh, although in an annoying way because a lot of clapping in your house is right kind of weird. News you don't give a shit about. Jordan Peele is in talks to produce a remake of the Clive Barker horror film Candyman. The franchise has been dormant for 20 years. Candyman was based on author Clive Barker's short story The Forbidden, which is one of the stories from his Books of Blood short story collections. The story for the original film follows the graduate student who is writing a research about local legends and myths in Chicago. While researching about the project, she meets someone who tells her about the urban legend, The Candyman, an artist and a son of a slave who had his hand severed and was then murdered by his lover's father. Legend says that he will appear if you say his name five times in front of a mirror. The original film starred Tony Todd, Virginia Madsen, and Vanessa Williams. There were two sequels made, Farewell to the Flesh 
and Day of the Dead. Candyman, one of my favorite horror films from the 90s. It's, oh. it's way up there. And what's the thing about the horror films that I loved from the 90s, Candyman, uh, Wishmaster, you liked oh yeah Wishmaster I was thinking I was thinking Leprechaun never mind Wishmaster no, loves good. the cheesy no, 90s Wishmaster effects. is good yeah Leprechaun is shit yeah yeah I, I no I hate just, Leprechaun Wishmaster's good yeah but those two movies oh. all their sequels have been rotten the oh, Wishmaster yeah. sequel is terrible the Candyman sequel is terrible well the first Wishmaster is kind of terrible too no the oh, first no. Wishmaster is a lot of fun is what it is but mm. that second one's insufferable it's Matt good. All right. I mean, I watched them. I enjoyed them as a kid, but I, I, I wouldn't give the the first one any any Oscars or anything. No, no. <laughs> Although Candyman was one of the first horror movies I seen in the theater that edges more toward art while mixing in with horror. Well, it's because the Candyman can because he mixes Thank it you. with love and makes the world taste good. It, it, it was to me. It was a, a mature story for adults, which was weird because I saw it in a movie theater with, and across the aisle, a couple had brought their child. Oh, jeez! It's Candyman. Candyman is a. The gore is kind of unflinching in Candyman, so yes, the child pretty much cried through the movie. <laughs> so, I hope you're okay, kid. Your parents make bad decisions. Yeah, I, I remember when I saw the first Deadpool, there were kids in the theater, and that first sequence where the, uh, you know, they have the whole road sequence and the, the the one body that comes up hits the sign and it just basically disintegrates into a pool of blood. I remember the mother taking the kid and walking out of the theater, <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, it's an R-rated film, lady, rated for a reason." Yeah, I mean, the kid was probably eight, maybe nine. And I'm sitting here, I, I remember walking into the theater thinking to myself, I'm like, why are there parents with children in here? This is Deadpool. This is like the one character you would never... It's a superhero movie. But, yeah. you know, parents, most of them don't read comics. They just see, oh, it's a superhero. I'll bring my kid. Probably didn't even see the rating. Yeah. Just saw... Could have been. Dude in spandex. My kid will love it. Oh, yeah. Research films, people. <clears throat> but, yeah, I, I've... Even though I put this in news you don't give a shit about, I'm cool with a remake of Candyman. I'd like to see what somebody else does with it. I love that first film. You can't take it away from me. I think it's a piece of glorious horror art. The Candyman can. And Tony Todd is one of my favorite horror villains because of that movie. He's done many, many things in yeah. genre. But that is my favorite piece of his. Well, Tony Todd's just yeah, amazing he's, anyway. He's a captain in Babylon 5. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he was a, he was a Klingon in in Star oh, yes. Trek: The Next Generation he was, uh, and DS Nine. Yeah, he was his brother. Yeah, he was in the Kern. remake of Kern, Night, right? of the, yep. Night yeah. of the Living Dead. Yeah. He's been in so many things, but that was his true shining moment. Shame about the sequels. In fact, I will even go so far. Uh, there is an episode of DS Nine where he plays Benjamin Sisko's son as an adult. Yes, that's right. That's right. And he plays that so. <laughs> Well, it really shows you that he is a good, well-rounded actor because we're so used to him always being in some kind of makeup or in some kind of horror film or some kind of B movie, and then when you see him in a role that allows him to to flex that acting muscle, you're just reminded of the fact that this is a man who is a fantastic actor 
despite what he's been in in the past. So anyway, you need a big props. <clears throat> you need a good actor for those heavy makeup roles. Because oh yeah, you, um, uh, you, you need to really be able to push through all that crap to get your character out there. Well, that's basically what um, uh, Freddy Krueger. Um, why am I blanking out on his name? Robert, Robert England. England. Robert England said in in some of the interviews. In fact, we had an interview. We have the audio somewhere because we didn't know it was going to be an audio interview. Uh, him talking about how you have to have some acting talent to act through all those appliances and still emote, you know, in such a way that the audience understands where you're coming from. So, so you yeah, know, you know, my favorite part in Wishmaster. As the part where, uh, oh shoot, what's his name? Uh, uh, Kane Hodder, the guy that oh, played okay. Jason. He plays a small role in Wishmaster. He plays a security guard. And of course, the Wishmaster is the whole thing that the evil thing is a genie, and the genie, th- genie grants wishes just not the way you want them to be. He grants them in horrible, horrible ways. That's why it's so much fun. I think I remember the scene you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. go so, ahead. And if he's, yeah. the security guy is, is blocking his way, into this corporate building and it says if you want to come in here you'll have to go through me and genie the actor says, who plays the genie he like at, does that snickering smile yeah, he yeah. goes as you wish oh, <laughs> and, yeah. and then turns him into plate glass and then busts right through him it's robert it's glorious robert davy that played wishmaster yes i think so okay yeah i just <laughs> uh License to Kill, the James Bond film was on the other day, and he's the he's the the big bad in that, and it's just such such over the top acting from him. It's just it's almost to the point of cheese. License to Kill almost killed my love that, of Bond, love of Bond, and Die Another Day nearly stuck a full stake in it. Yeah, I, I'm that with that. Are you both know those what? both those Pierce Brosnan? Yes. No. Uh, no wait. Dalton Dalton's license, last right? last go around as Bond was licensed license to kill. kill. Right. And then die, and yeah. die another day was, was Brosnan. Brosnan's final. In fact, uh, he he was wanting to do another one, but uh, the powers that be tried to basically take it back to more of the book style adventure rather than the outlandish kind of comic booky. It was getting way of, out there. Yeah. And in fact I would when Brosnan got his chance at Bond, I was so excited. Well, Gold, mm. Goldeneye Dude, was Goldeneye amazing. Goldeneye was good. Gold, Goldeneye, Goldeneye yes, is yes, Goldeneye the best was ones. great. Yeah. It, it was, and then the the next two films were pretty good. But then when it got to um, Diamond Face, <laughs> well, it was the one right before that because he did yeah. five films. Right, the, his first three were really good. They all run together for me now. Let's see, he did <laughs> Goldeneye, um, World Is Not Enough. Um, Goldeneye was the only uh, Pierce Brosnan film that I really liked. Really? Yeah. After that, it was uh, it started just getting tiring. I think the world is not enough. Was where I saw it started. It started to see it slide towards more outlandish comic booky feel. Oh yeah. Because you know the, some of the 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 cheesy lines were seemed really forced, and then and then went from there to. Um, die another day and it was just nope well that's bad is maybe that's because of an expectation that bronson brosnan 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 was going to take it in another direction because 
right now everything you guys are saying you're describing Moonraker uh, yeah. yeah which was the <laughs> yeah it's, wow it's super, super goof M- wow. Moonraker is super cheap I saw that with my dad in Kuwait oh wow and that was some that was some weird shit so okay well, I need to know everyone has their favorite bonds and I'm not going to talk about that what I want to know is who? Which movie was your first Bond movie? Who? Huh. First I, one I ever saw, and I, ne- I didn't see it in theater. Not old enough. Yeah. Um, Goldfinger. That was the first one I ever saw. First one you ever saw. Yeah. And is Sean Connery your favorite Bond? I don't really have a favorite, honestly. Okay. okay. Yeah. I think... Looking back on my childhood, I'm pretty sure of you to a kill was my first real experience, like first real exposure to Bond because that was what eighty six. Sounds right. And so it was not only in the theaters, but then it was like all over television. Like it was on ABC, like a lot. So that was my first real introduction to it. And then I they started showing some more of the the Bond films. And I distinctly remember um, Man with a Golden Gun as well. So those were the two that I recall the most of the films. All right. In fact, uh, they've had, they had this Labor Day weekend uh, Bond marathon on recently. So I've got to watch them all in order again. And there are elements of Dr. No and Thunderball uh, that I had completely forgotten about. Just like I remembered scenes... But like some through lines, storyline stuff that I was, I had just completely forgotten about, and I was like, "Wow, it, it has been a long time since I've seen this particular outing." And I will say, I think the thing that has hurt those films the most is that technology and the way the world works have caught up to the kind of the outrageous. Well, not just the gadgetry, but the you know the 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 espionage style of the various agencies, you know, where you're using human um, oh. assets to versus technological versus ones. technological assets, you know, you know, mm. you're you're now able to garner a lot of that information directly. Now, the use of human assets is still necessary in the spy game. In fact, a lot of former spies that have written books have said as much, but they don't go about it obviously in the ways that they do in the books, but you know, yeah, the, the way up. that Bond approaches it in the films is completely different. You know, even back then would have been completely different than real life. But Kay, what was your first Bond? Um, you know what? It's it's kind of like Star Trek. It was on television so much when I was a kid because my mom and dad loved the Bond movies that I would. The only thing I can say is I think I remember Goldfinger as my first. And wah, that's, wah, wah. Yeah, and yeah. that's on that was on TV. The first I saw in the theater was Moonraker. So it was it and it was funny cuz my mom hated Roger Moore's Bond. <laughs> and so I was, you know, I was raised with a with a tremendous contempt for the the Moore run. Um but uh, I, I remember Moonraker and just being like, that this is fun, but it's it's kind of crazy. And, you know, then I just got into the role, rolled into watching when Dalton took over. And 
and and then br- when bronze when Brosnan. Bronze. Bronzeman? Not bra. Br- Good not, fucking not Christ. I know the Brosnan. man's name. I can't do it. <laughs> Brosnan. You know, he. You want me to you just dub Bronson in? As a, as a, every time you get there, I'll just dub in Pierce Brosnan yeah, 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 yeah. In where you say. Can you imagine yeah. Bronson as a bo- Brosnan? <laughs> I th- wouldn't that actually. Be awesome? He auditioned for it. Oh, he did hilarious. audition yeah. for James Bond. Wow! And he it's funny because not quite, but sorta, he's kind of closer to the book Bond than uh, any of the uh, actors really were. What do you mean, as far as his look? And no, and far as far as uh, just overall personality in terms of just being ice cold and ruthless, and utterly, you know, that and yeah. So um, uh, as a as a side note, uh, Dirk Benedict had actually um, auditioned for and almost got Bond. He would have been the first non-British, or mm. I actually should say non-UK actor and non-Australian actor. To, right. to play the role. He would have been the first American to play the role. And Can't apparently and apparently, almost got it when they cast Dalton. Oh, wow. Uh, and I, that, going back to what you said, the first one I saw in the theater was um, The Living Daylights. It was oh, okay. Timothy Dalton's yeah. first film. My mom uh, took myself and a few of my friends to the movie theater for my birthday, and we got that was the first one I saw in the theater. So, um, all right. I do have to put on a side note. Um, it's tough to watch some of those older Sean Connery Bond films. A little misogynistic, aren't they? Uh, not just the misogyny. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. the casual physical abuse of females yes. is really tough to watch, especially how I was raised. And I'm just like, you never put your hand on a woman. And the the you know the kind of kind of nonchalant backslaps to the <laughs> yeah. face of some of these women oh, yeah. i'm just like ah i can't i can't watch that especially since you know i i have sisters and one who has been abused by her husband and that's difficult to sure yeah to, to stomach knowing that you know especially because i've had friends that have also been physically abused by spouses and it's just difficult to stomach because you know that that really goes on in life and normally I can suspend disbelief on a lot of that stuff when I'm, oh, it's just a movie, Bob, that's not real. But he's so yeah, convincing in the whole... way that, like, <laughs> he grabs, shakes the hell out of a, these, some of these women, smacks them, and throws them into closets and stuff. And I'm just like, it's Damn, tough bro. to watch. Yeah, it's tough to watch. But <laughs> Growing up, uh, each Christmas, uh, AMC would run every single movie from for, uh, beginning all the way until what okay, the most recent yeah. one is. So every year I'd watch them all. And uh, what's sticking out to me, scene-wise, like you're saying, you remember scenes, but not yeah. uh, James Bond movie titles. What's the one? They're all underwater, and they're having this spear gun battle. Uh, would have either I'd been Thunderball or Never Say Never Again, which yeah. is a remake of Thunderball. Yeah. Yeah, I think it... That one's always... Probably thinking right of Thunderball. Thunderball. Never Say Never Again is another difficult one to watch yeah. now. But those spear, that spear gun battle was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. The, the the whole story behind Never Say Never Again is is interesting too. That I remember uh I stumbled across a documentary. I think I mentioned it on the show a couple of years ago where they interviewed all the ex Bonds except Connery. <laughs> and uh he does not really like to talk about the yeah, Bond days anymore. Yeah. And he uh um uh Timothy Dalton looked and Lazenby 
just totally upfront about yeah. it. Yeah, I fucked it up. I pissed it away. Mm-hmm. I was such an idiot. You know, and it was just the, the 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 whole discussion was really really interesting. Yeah, I like the one with uh, with Pierce Brosnan, uh, where he talks about getting that phone call from uh, Broccoli's daughter and stepson, and when they told him that he wasn't going to be Bond anymore, and where you know he said he it's it it was hurtful, but at the same time he understood what what they were doing and why they were taking it in a different direction than it had been going. And was still, you know, looking forward to seeing who yeah. had to play the next Bond, and actually mm-hmm. praised Craig in mm-hmm. that uh, in that interview. Yeah, but yeah, I love how open all of those actors were about everything they experienced. Yeah, it was very, it was very, very. Cool. It was tough listening to Roger Moore talk though, because you look at him and he looks like he's about to keel over. Because you just don't realize he was in his forties, right, when he took over the the role of Bond, something like that. He certainly looked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he was a bit older than when when Connery started, but yeah, it's he's he's up there in years, and it it was definitely showing in the interview. But still, like you said, per- perfectly candid about everything that yeah. they yeah, that they was, went through. It was it was one of the best documentaries of that type. I think uh, it's in. I, the, I think that's in the box set. Is it the, in the, the Blu-ray box set? box set? I think it's yeah. included in yeah. there. It, it, it was it, like AMC or somebody yeah. that put it on initially. And it was just ah, oh, goddamn! Why isn't Connery on here? Because it it'd be so great to get his insights. But yeah, he really wants to step aside. So it it was funny. I re- they actually did talk about his relation. Was it broccoli? Yeah, he and Cubby broccoli. The had falling a, had out. a very love hate relationship, yeah, and, and, and it got really, really nasty. And they're showing clips of him on uh, Johnny Carson, just dissing. Oh, I mean, you know, really, just really, just uh, uh, the most evil man in in the world, or something like that. And I didn't realize he died, Roger Moore. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then, recently. but Two years then ago. they. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then they talked about the reconciliation at the end when when he was uh, broccoli was on his deathbed. Yeah, and, and he came in and was able to talk to him on the phone. Yeah, and I guess they, you know, they said they loved each other, and he said, and uh, his daughter said basically right after that he was gone. Yeah. So I mean, at least there was that, but yeah, that was it was weird because I, I I remember them saying that it was like right after. Because Diamonds Forever Are Forever was his final film, but that was after Lazenby. Yes. Because he came back to do the one film, and I remember they said it was, it was ridiculously difficult to get him back for that one, and was like the highest paid actor at the time, just to do that one film. Yeah. And Broccoli was hoping that that would coerce him into maybe doing another one, but he came back, did that one hat film, and was only intending to do that one film. So that was. <laughs> A source of tension, number one, but the exact reasons for the falling out, I don't think they ever really got into, right? Yeah. Well, the the Thunderball, uh, I'm sorry, the Never Say Never Again thing. Yeah, that was... Because that was weird because Ian Fleming is doing, wrote that script, for, wrote that script, wrote that story for the film in particular, so it was outside of the Broccoli family's rights. Yeah, that was the, um, I forget the name of the writer that it was, it was Ian Fleming, but also the, the writer that sued um, Eon Productions and actually got the right to produce it as a separate Bond mm-hmm. script. That, yeah, all of that was crazy. Yeah, that's why it doesn't have the Bond theme in it. Yeah. 
They because mm-hmm. it, it was produced through Warner Brothers, as I recall. I think so. Yeah. How crazy! My first Bond film. Uh oh. I talked last week about falling in love with Barbarella. Oh boy! Because of the RCA video disc player that my friend had, they had it on there. Well, they also had For Your Eyes Only. So Roger ah. Moore was my very first one, and I and at that point I couldn't give two shakes about anything that wasn't cartoons and space battles, and fantasy nuts, and this movie, I'm like, oh, spies are cool. <laughs> wow, I never knew this sort of thing existed. And I started going on a James Bond tear around that time. First movie I saw in the theater was Octopussy, and that led to the James Bond role-playing game by West End Games. Oh, I think, God. I think. Or was it Victor? I can't remember who made it. But Well, that was one of the things we bonded over in, at Space hey, Camp was... Said, he was, oh, uh, yeah, I did, didn't I? Bonded. Uh, Look at that. Yeah. He, he, talked, he taught me a lot about James Bond. <laughs> I was obsessed. Back in 1987. I this is obsessed. how you backhand slap a woman, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you shake him and throw him in the closet. And I will tell you right now, that James Bond role-playing game is the most unwieldy RPG system I think I've ever encountered. It is ridiculous. I remember when I came up to visit you at one time, you were still trying to figure out how to get the... I never played it once, yeah. but I read the crap out of it. That, that, that James Bond game was my James Bond source book. So that's how I knew all about Irma Boont. It, it, it's so funny because those, those systems, they, everybody's trying a different way to do D&D and trying to improve on it and they just start coming up with some weird weird there's how, some deep math in that yeah game. how can we do some randomization and at you know at the end of the day even with its flaws um where D has evolved to it's just like this is functional and this works <laughs> yeah but you know everyone and and i'll get into other game systems because weird philosophies behind them like the star wars role-playing game that yep. is that is some weird that those dice those are mechanics some are, dice. Are, are weird shit but it's interesting it's fun you know but boy oh boy they just gotta go to weird fucking places yeah. it was kevin mcclory was the name of the guy that, that was the screenwriter slash producer on mm-hmm. thunderball that got the rights to Boo. to do a separate film. In fact, apparently he tried to do a couple other retellings of Thunderball. Oh. Um, so Never Say Never Again was, was the one-off, but he had plans to remake it a few more times so that he could try to cash in uh, with different actors playing Bond. It was right. just now, those weird things. He's a crazy Bond fan that I was mm-hmm. and watched all those movies so many times, including Never Say Never Again, which I owned on VHS. Oh, yeah. And, he, he showed it to me for the first time. And just about ruined. <laughs> There's one Bond movie I have never, ever seen. Uh-oh. Really? Thunderball. Are you serious? <laughs> what, one, one of the Bond movies that's considered one of the no-all, end-all of Bond films, aside from, of course, Goldfinger. So, uh, yeah, I still have never to this day seen Thunderball. But I've seen this remake. That is hilarious that you have never seen that. Because if you watch the two, it's so clear how much they are the same goddamn film. (laughs) 
in fact, there are elements of Never Say Never Again that are direct. I'm not going to say homage, but they're directly taken from Thunderball. Uh, yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. I think that was part of the the rift is that, you know, he said he would never play Bond again after Diamonds Are Forever, mm-hmm. which is which is what led to the title Never Say Never Again. Right. And so Broccoli was super offended that you know he absolutely fought him and said he's never going to play the role again, and then did with another company and with another set of producers that that i think that was part of it but yeah. there was obviously more to the the story yeah. we we should really move on from yeah bond. We, 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 we have we spent, have spent a lot spent of time, time on this. talking about bond uh so i have to know what is, who's your favorite bond villain all of all the bond villains or henchmen bad guys who is your favorite of them all Ooh. huh Odd job. Yeah. Odd, job. Odd jobs. Yeah. Pretty great. Jaws is good too. Jaws is good, but he went from being a really serious, scary threat to kind of comic y in, in Moonraker. Yeah. He became an ally. Yeah. yeah. At, the, at, at the very end of the film, too. <laughs> one, one sentence from Bond completely turns him around. He's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm on the wrong side. But. <laughs> He was friggin' awesome in The Spy Who Loved Me. Yes, that's true. Gosh, uh, favorite villain, favorite villain. I mean, Blofeld is the one that comes to mind because he was Proper the villain. longest. Not a henchman, yeah. the, the mastermind. Well, responsible which, for... Which one, then? The, de- the death of Teresa Bond. Ah, Bond's yes. one and only love. Telly Savalas as. And then henchman? Uh that's a tough one. I might have to come back to that. While you're thinking about that, yeah. that was one really weird thing in the James Bond movies. Because like I said, The Spy Who Loved Me is my favorite Bond film. Right. In the opening scene of that movie, he kills Blofeld. And he'd already killed him before right. in in um, uh, in in Diamonds Are Forever, so, yeah, this, <laughs> which so, was two years earlier. <laughs> so I had no idea who this guy was with the cat in the chair. But because <laughs> yeah. Connery, yeah, and Diamonds Are Forever, like smashes him into the thing, the thing blows up, and then, oh, well, there's the end of. Actually, technically, Connery killed him like four times in that film because he had the uh, uh, the decoys. But uh, yeah, kills him at the end of the film, and then all of a sudden, you know, we get to Roger Moore's first Bond film. And who's the villain that steps in and gets it right at the very beginning? Blofeld. <laughs> Not Moore's first film, though. Because well, my favorite villain oh, right, is from right. Moore's first film. That's right. Because Live and Let Die, because I love some tee hee. Uh, I, I know why I've confused it, too, because I just found this out recently, is that scene with him dumping Blofeld into the thing was originally supposed to be used in ah. Moore's first film, and then they, they moved it off. And- oh, okay. Matihi, the guy with the little razor cutter hand. Oh, okay. I, I, he's, that's just fun goofiness. I love it. Okay. Uh, what's the one Hervé Village has played? Uh, that would be Man Amantha Golden, Golden Gun. Gun, yeah. Yeah, no, but what was the character name? Uh, shoot. I don't remember. I don't Cause remember. Because he was, he was pretty <laughs> sneaky. Yeah. He's saying, hello, Mr. Bond. <laughs> All right, now we're actually moving on. So yes. if you didn't like right. Bond, now we're moving on, I promise. All right. <laughs> How can you somewhere, not like Bond? What the heck? Come on. Anyways, somewhere somebody's pulling their hair out. News you don't give a shit about. Yeah, we're still on it. <laughs> I forgot. 
Spider-Man from Insomniac Games was released exclusively to the PlayStation 4. Yes. However, a sweet gesture in the form of an Easter egg was released with the game. Oh, I heard about this. But a change in circumstances transformed a marriage proposal to one of the saddest Easter eggs in video game history. Back in May, Tyler Schultz reached out to the developer to ask for help to propose to his then-girlfriend in a big way. Then-girlfriend? Yeah. yeah. This that's, doesn't sound yeah. good. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's <laughs> not yeah. good. Insomniac Games loved the idea and tweeted back to Schultz asking if it was possible to wait until September 7th, the game's launch date. So making sure that she wouldn't be reading his Twitter replies. Uh, Schultz replied back saying that since they'd been together for five years, quote, I think she'll still be around in September, lol, unquote. <laughs> Marvel's Bill Rosenbaum and Insomniac Games replied to his request and hid the proposal in the game. The proposal was placed on a marquee sign that reads, Maddie, will you marry me? By the time September 7th rolled around, Schultz was a newly single man. His proposal, however, was still visible on the movie theater marquee. Schultz took to YouTube, posting a video that explained what it was like seeing his failed marriage proposal after being dumped. Quote, The thing that sucks about this Easter egg is the date I'm making this video now, three or four weeks ago, my girlfriend dumped me to go with my brother. Basically throwing away five years we had together, unquote, said Schultz. That's got to be doubly painful. Oh, that's no brother of mine. Yeah. To, wow. <laughs> to make matters worse, not only did Schultz's girlfriend leave him for his brother after five years, but she also made it clear that his marriage proposal via video game would not have swept her off her feet. Even though Schultz said that this might go down in history as the saddest Easter egg, Schultz said that he's happy it's still in the game and even said that he hopes another couple will use that as their proposal. Quote, I just want to see someone get married through that thing, he added. Insomniac Games art director Jacinda Chu asked Schultz if he'd like to alter the marriage proposal via an upcoming patch. All considering Schultz seems to be in good spirits about it, he even spends the last section of the video praising Insomniac not only for helping him with his proposal, but for creating such a fulfilling Spider-Man video game, which he says helped, quote, clear his head in the weeks since his breakup. Uh, here's hoping his next proposal goes a little better. But a quick update, according to Screen Rant... Schultz asked Insomniac to change the marquee to honor his grandmother, who bought him a copy of Amazing Fantasy number 15, Spidey's first appearance. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, I hadn't read that part. Uh, yeah, that, that part's fairly new. And Amazing Fantasy 15, Grandma? How much money you got to spend on a comic book? Jesus Christ. Mm, maybe she that's got it when it wasn't worth a whole lot. Maybe she had it this maybe whole time. Maybe she kind of had it there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got these pile of funny books. <laughs> you know you know what they should have done? The patch should have been you can enter a name. Oh. Like there's a place in the yeah, setting game where you somewhere can just type in there in. that the, the player can enter the name so when it comes up, you know it's And it would just show for their game so it wouldn't go out on the internet and be like penis face, will you marry me or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I'm sure there would be filter locks to prevent people Although, from putting certain things wow. in there. Yeah, you just you have to t- you have to take you that into account. You just explained why they didn't do it, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't think of that? <laughs> no, it's it's funny because every time the that innocence. comes up, I'm like, yeah. of course, the but innocent. I don't. I don't ever think of well, you know, uh, hey, you can design your own blah blah blah, and there's going to be a, a huge million penis, penises. Uh, fucking, yeah. 
of very various forms out there in well, like that same kind of stuff, that same kind of filtering is why he couldn't make his um, his screen name Master Torgo on PlayStation <laughs> on 4. PlayStation Four. <laughs> it it literally would not let him do it. They won't let the word Master happen. Yep. That's why on PlayStation Four, I'm Mister Torgo, Mr. Torgo. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Let Master. me do it on Xbox, but not PlayStation. That's fucking. But man, uh, I wonder if they. I wonder if they would have let you do MSTR. But K. I love your innocence. <laughs> yeah, I know. I absolutely know. love your innocence. Yeah. I just, yeah. <laughs> it's funny because occasionally the little penis symbol. <laughs> but yeah, I forget that actually it's it's a it's a, a Noah's flood of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's always a small group of assholes that want to take it, advantage it, of it. It's funny because it reminds me. Oh, it's of, not a small group. Of. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a small but very vocal group. Oh. Yeah. The. The. Um, the physical therapy tech I work with, Angelica, when I warned her, I said, we get, we, our language gets salty. And she just like waved her hand and she's like, we're, we're I, a little blue. I grew up on PVP. And <laughs> she was just like, meh, you know. And it's like, well, I'm glad that that's actually her reaction, considering that, you know, the stories of some people who actually have just given up. Because sure. of uh, of the nonsense, but I think it. <laughs> I'm one of them. Yeah, I think I think I don't know. Isn't part of it maybe generational? Perhaps. Like the millennial gamers are a little more, you know, accepting of everybody and everything. Depends so. on their age, because I do remember playing. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I mean, depends on their age at the time, because I do remember, say, ten years ago playing against eight-year-olds in Halo and had massive filthy mouths telling me about how they were going to do this and that to my mother and, and, <laughs> and kicking my ass. And I'm just sitting there going like, wow, I am losing in a Halo match to an eight-year-old. A filthy eight-year-old. A filthy eight-year-old. <laughs> yeah. But as they get older, it do seem, seem to be a little more empathetic, so... I don't just know. it just depends. Hey, Mister, I'm gonna mm. fuck your mom. <laughs> I don't know. They're oh, like... yeah. It just it. I was just like, I was I was simultaneously impressed and offended. It was like I was like, don't talk about my mom like that. But like impressed at the the quality of the of insults. the insults because <laughs> it wasn't just a simple like you know I'm gonna you know like go fuck yourself or anything like that. He's like. In detail, how they were going to do the things that they were going to do. Basically, and the just going, the, how are they going to aristocrats his mom? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Weekend Geek! Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the new segment of Disneyland and Walt Disney World coming in 2019, is adding a bar. It's called Oga's Cantina after Oga Guerrera. The alien owner and the bar is set in the Black Spire Outpost, which is on the Batu at the edge of the Outer Rim. This is the setting for all of Disney's theme park endeavors with the series, expanding out the canon with a new area that's so far only found its way into the novels. It's also another new area for Disneyland, alcoholic beverages. Disneyland has been dry, aside from its private Club 33, since its opening in 1955, but with adult libation served at Oga's, the change is official. But Oga's is also falls into a long line of nightclubs and dives in the universe, quote, you never know when a stormtrooper or familiar face will show up, unquote. The cantina's announcement states, 
Uh, one of these familiar faces is the obscure RX-24, who hosted Star Tours and has apparently become a DJ. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the whole Disney being dry thing is weird, especially like since California Adventure opened, because you could go get alcohol in California Adventure. Yes. And if you had a park hopper, you could pop over, have a couple drinks, go back over, ride yeah. rides, Or just go to you know, downtown yeah. Disney. Yeah, exactly. Get some on your way into the park. <laughs> as long yeah. as you drank it before you got to the turnstiles, because they stop you. I, I, I think Tur- it was kind of like a, an, an homage to Walt's uh, tradition with what sure. Walt wanted for the park, but... Yeah, that that's that's good now. It's 2018. Yeah. Come on, Jesus. yeah, exactly. Oh. And yeah. if if I want to get a drink, I want it to be in a Star Wars bar. And if yeah. I, and if I want to drink in Disneyland, I really want to go to Club 33. Okay, you sure? Every time I've seen pictures, I've just like I really want to go there. Yeah. I have friends that have gone in there, and I am like insanely jealous because it's just like how I, I they still What's have the not wait told list me like how. ridiculous now. Well, you have to have a membership. Yeah. Memberships yeah. are not cheap. It's like twenty grand or something, right? Yeah, yeah. something like fifteen, twenty grand a year. A year. Um, and there is a massive wait list to get because you basically have and you to have wait. to know somebody yeah. that has a membership yeah. to go. Okay, yeah. It, and right. you basically like in order to move up on the wait list, you almost have to wait for somebody to die because I think you can even will it over to like a family member. Oh wow! So as long as they pay like the maintenance <coughs> fees. The fifteen to twenty grand, whatever it is, so like a timeshare. <laughs> yeah, from the man who knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. fuck Club Thirty Three. <laughs> but yeah. Oh. So anybody out there that wants to get me into Club Thirty Three, <laughs> poor I'm, Barry, I'm willing to. I got this great deal, Matt, and he explains it, and Matt's like, "No, don't do it. It's a riff off. You're gonna lose money." Okay, and. A year later, I gave up on Club 33 because of you, you <laughs> stupid bastard. <laughs> I didn't do it, and you told me not. So. I can hardly wait, though, to go to Disneyland and, and have a hyperdrive breach. Yes. Yes, indeed. We should totally have a Geek Shock field trip to Disneyland when that opens. Yeah. It sounds pretty terrific. Although, I'm game. Although I am game. Let's, everybody let's, will fit in my truck. Let's let's wait a little while because we'll wait we'll wait a year. Yeah. So it opens in what late 2019. We'll wait to like wait yeah. late 2020. <laughs> I'm I'm in I'm in my 40s. I don't I don't want to go there on opening day. <laughs> yeah. That's gonna be <laughs> insanity. Yeah. I I don't want to wait four hours for a drink. That's true. And you will. I just meant to the the whole experience. Not just the, the bar. Not, not just the bar. <laughs> yeah. Not the bar. Just the, yeah. <laughs> All right, we go to the bar, we wait four hours for our drink, get our drink, gonna say, pile if, back in the van, go back to Vegas. If all I wanted to do was go to a space-themed bar, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Amen. <laughs> Tended bar there. Okay, anyway, sorry. No, that's fine. Which I uh, just as a, that brings up another thing. We just passed, uh, as, as far as geeky things, we just passed the uh, uh, anniversary of the uh, premiere of Star Trek on original oh, original right. series Jeez. and animated series, yeah. as I recall. Both of them appeared, uh, premiered on September 8th, mm-hmm. um, 66 and 72, was it? I think. Animated series 72? Maybe it was remember. 73. At any rate. It, going back to the Club 33 and Star Wars mm-hmm. Cantina, does it 
pull away some of the luster of Club 33 now that it's not the only place in Disneyland that you can get a drink? No. Maybe it will. But the it luster? is the luster it is, is the exclusiveness. I think that's part of it. With you know, it's still going to have that as well as apparently it has some of the best ha- uh, best food in all yes. of Disneyland because I mean it's it's a gourmet you know fine dining establishment. Yes. So, although as they said, it's ironic they they don't want you to dress up to go there because. They don't want people to realize you're going into Club 33. I just recently found that out. So that's why you see people occasionally wearing, you know, just a nice normal shirt and jeans going in there because they don't want people to see you sneaking off into the secret entrance to they don't want, Club 33. They want people to jump on their backs. Yeah. All right. Well, that's right. It is secret entrance, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's secret-ish. Yeah. Everyone I mean, knows where it's at yeah. if you know where to look. Yeah, I mean, it's just down a, an alley right by uh, entrance to Pirates of the Caribbean in the New Orleans oh Square. BBC America has announced that it will be airing every single episode from the Doctor Who reboot's first 10 seasons starting September 25th at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Oh, yeah. BBC America will take off with the 13 days of Doctor Who, which will nice. take... From the ninth through the 12th Doctors, counting down to the 13th Doctor, Jodie Whittaker. The first rebooted episode featured the ninth Doctor, Christopher Eccleston, and got millions of fans back aboard the show after a nine-year hiatus. Eccleston soon regenerated into the 10th Doctor, Doc, uh, David Tennant. He eventually turned into Matt Smith, and then he morphed into Peter Capaldi, a Doctor Who fan himself who bought a, brought a wisdom spanning eons to the series. So, yeah, um, the new series premieres on October 7th, so they're probably trying to roll that directly into the premiere. Sure. Because it'll get take, you, yeah, thir- what, is it 13 days, right? 13 days. September so, 25th, 6 a.m., it begins, so... So that would be just about right. If you wanted to get on the Who train, there's a place to start. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Who train. <laughs> Don't get fooled again. Ah, <laughs> uh, Okay. You got oh. to do the sad stuff. Uh-oh. Burt Reynolds. Yep. Yep. Best known for Turn films. Turn Ferguson. Get Turn it right. Turn Ferguson. <laughs> Best known. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful call, sir. Beautiful call. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a funny name. <laughs> <laughs> Best known for films such as Deliverance, The Longest Yard, Smokey and the Bandit, The Cannonball Run, Boogie Nights, and a ton of other films. Passed away. He was 82 years old. I forgot Striptease. His best role. Dude, there's so many roles I've left out. Sharky's Machine. Whatever you want. Oh, wherever sorry. you want to go. I was, uh, I was reading some excerpts from his book that he wrote about his career. And uh, it's fascinating. He, he passed on a bunch of roles when he was younger because he chose roles that he thought he'd have fun with as opposed to like some of the more serious roles that would have really kind of showcased his talent mm-hmm. and, you know, had not necessarily regrets, but wished he'd had pursued some wider, um, you know, acting roles. But, you know, he said he actively pursued roles like cannonball run and, uh, Smokey and the bandit and stuff because paternity he, <laughs> things that he thought he would have fun doing. Um, but yeah, semi tough, right? Is that 
the longest yard. The, the foot. There was the other football one with Chris Christopherson and. Uh, mm, I could tell got you me there. Second. I don't know yeah, on that one. I, I, yeah. Oh God, I remember longest yard. Man, when that was on cable, we watched it every time. Really. Oh yeah, my my mom loved that movie. It's actually a really good film. Yeah, I it mean is. it's it's a bit it dated it's no, now. It's yeah. no paternity. Yeah, <laughs> Burt, Ren- Burt Reynolds was in Semi Tough, and it okay. is it is a football film. You're yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. Right. They're they're professionals, and yeah, because uh, I remember because uh, they're talking about Chris Christopherson's character having a commercial, and Reynolds is like, oh, I had a commercial. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, shit, I can't remember the female. The female character. She's like, "You did a condom commercial," and he's like, "And it was good. Come on, boys, stick it in. It won't pinch. It's paper thin." Oh wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I like that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it. Um, there was a nice cartoon. Uh, somebody did where he's uh, he's as the bandit in the car, and he's vaulting over the pearly gates. Very nice. Yeah, it was that was that was kind of cute. Uh, God damn him and Dom DeLuise and the Cannonball. Man, they they were Jesus. chemistry. They were Us. chemistry. That. They were, Jeff talking about roles that were fun. Those two were just playing, having fun. Yeah, that was insane. I mean, and you know the movie. I mean, they really it was. You you can watch that movie just for those two doing their shit. Yes, yeah. it was insane, dude. No, the the Japanese guys. <laughs> well, well, oh, yeah. Kevin yeah, 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 yeah. had all <laughs> the I mean, But I'm saying that their yeah. their thing was with the, the chemistry. That it was just, the lunacy was just so damn good that I remember the outtakes where every oh, yeah. time Luke, Dom DeLuise screwed up. Smack! He'd smack him, and, and it's so funny because eventually it's like Delouise is flinching. He like fucks something up, and then he's like, because he's just ready for it. And that was one of the fun things too, because those the the credits were fun because they were showing all those outtakes and everything. It's great. Ah, Bert. But Boogie Nights, one of my favorite movies of all time. What a role! Right. What a role. I still I it it when they're showing one fucking scene and I forget what it is the movie that they're making mm-hmm. in the movie and the way he just leans back and goes this is the greatest thing we've ever done <laughs> just, it's so fucking good Jesus yeah uh, also we lost actor Bill Daly known for his roles of Major Roger Healy on I Dream of Jeannie and Dr. Larry Dykstra on ALF, passed away at the age of 91. I Dream of Jeannie was Daly's most iconic show, where he had a starring role of the show's original run on NBC between 1965 and 1970. He played the best friend of the main character, Tony Nelson, Larry Hagman, an astronaut who discovers a genie in the bottle. Hagman? Hagman, you're right. Hagman, <laughs> I put an I put an N in there. Hangman, hangman, wait a little while. Daly got his first major role in 1964 as a guest on a show that was very similar to I Dream of Jeannie, Bewitched. He portrayed Mr. Johnson in the season one episode entitled A Vision of Sugar Plums. After Jeannie, however, his acting career really took off with notable parts on Mary Tyler Moore, Love, American Style, and most prominently the Bob Newhart Show. 
Other shows that featured daily were The Munsters, Today, uh, Bob, George, and Leo, The Naked Truth, and Caroline in the City. His final role came in 2011 for the animated project Horrorween. Hmm. Also, we lost the first man to see profitability of feature films on VHS, Andre Blay. Died on August 24th. He was 81 years old. Blay started Magnetic Video Corp. in 1969. In 1977, MVC became the first company to release theatrical films on VHS and Betamax. He reached out to the major motion picture studios asking for permission to put their films on tape, and 20th Century Fox was the only one who responded. The studio licensed 50 early films to MVC. This led to the creation of Video Club of America. Subscribers could pay $10 fee to join the club, and then $49.95 for each video they wanted to buy. God, I remember that. This business model eventually became the basis for Blockbuster, Hollywood Video, and other similar video rental companies. The Consumer Electronics Association credits Blay with essentially creating the video rental revolution. In 1979, Fox bought out MVC for $7.5 million and installed Blay as the first executive of the studio's newly created home video division. After a few years, Blay left to start his own company, but instead joined Norman Lear and Jerry uh, Parencio at Embassy Communications to run their new home entertainment division. While there, he was instrumental in raising the funding for The Princess Bride. Oh, okay. So you can blame him for The Princess Bride and... Friggin' VHS. Yeah. That, is, it, that whole uh, movies on VHS thing is really fascinating, with the whole history of that, because, you know, when you talk about video cassettes available, you know, quote-unquote price to own, they never were until you got into um, Top Gun. Yeah, that was the Top one. Top Gun was the one that forced the prices down that anybody could buy them. Because I remember... Um, Actually, I remember talking to um, a video store owner because my dad was looking for this this film that he wanted from a kid. Uh, um, hey, kid, you got that uh, video? From when he was that? a kid. Oh, okay. And <laughs> at any rate, my mom and I were looking all over trying to find this Top film. Top Gun, the best film ever? Uh, it was actually The Spirit of St. Louis oh. um, starting, starring... It's uh, fine. It lost me already. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> uh, starring Jimmy Stewart. Oh, yeah. uh, oh, oh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right now. <laughs> hey, it's an airplane movie. <laughs> Somewhere Biggs is like, oh, that's a terrible Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember ta- we were talking to a video store owner because we were trying to track a copy of this down. We're trying to get it from my dad. And they're like, well, those aren't priced for consumers. I mean, we pay about $100 per copy for all of our videos to rent. So it, it, that whole industry was built for rental and not home ownership up until Top Gun came out. So that you know that was '87. So you're talking about all those years, and then the vi- I do remember that video club uh, seeing commercials for it on TV, and uh, yeah, it's just really weird how that whole that whole VHS era yeah. plays out. It's gone now. <laughs> History, <laughs> history of cinema. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is bringing John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China back to the big screen. But, as we talked about before, it's not a reboot. That's what we thought it was before. Yeah, not a reboot. The project producer, Hiram Garcia, 
uh, revealed that there is no intention of rebooting the classic 1986 film that marked the pinnacle of Carpenter's cinematic collaborations with Kurt Russell. In fact, the reality and continuity established with the original movie will be kept intact. Garcia said, you can't remake a classic like that. So what we're planning on planning to do is we're going to continue the story. We're going to continue the universe of Big Trouble in Little China. Everything that's happened in the original exists and is standalone. And I think there's only one person that could ever play Jack Burton. So Dwayne would never try to play that character. So we're just trying to have a lot of fun. We're actually in a really great space with the story that we've cracked. But yeah, no remake, unquote. Released in the summer of 86... Uh, the film followed the truck driver Jack Burton Russell, who found himself beneath the streets of Chinatown, embroiled in a battle against an ancient sorcerer who intends to murder his love interest. Despite being a box office of critical bomb, the movie, much like the director's remake of The Thing, is now considered a classic and a seminal piece of 80s cinema. Yeah, yeah I still remember uh, my friend showing me that for the first time on, on, on Betamax, actually. Wow. Uh, yeah. It was, it was just such a different film, and it was it was funny, and it was action in, involved, and it had the fantasy element, and it had all of that stuff blended in, and it just was so enjoyable. And then you know, obviously developed this big cult following, and then you know became something that became more than just a cult film. You know, so many people have now watched it and liked it over sure, the years. That- I think for a lot of kids in the 80s, that was their first introduction to any kind of uh, Eastern mythology or myth or Man. fantasy. And old Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express. Yes, yes indeed. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I remember I didn't like it when I was younger. It, it took me becoming an adult <laughs> and opening my brain a bit to actually appreciate it. And now I think it's... Now I'm, I'm aghast when I meet people because I know a couple people who's like, oh, I watched, I couldn't Let even finish Burton. it. It's the worst movie ever. Uh, uh, no. Oh. No, but uh, okay. yeah, this is someone totally different, but it was, it's just like, really? That's, that's a, that's a crazy fun movie. Goodbye, and, Mr. Button. And it's also subversive, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, that's good. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Russell is not the protagonist. Right. No. The, the hero is the Asian guy. Yep, he's the one who gets shit done, and it's 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 really it's actually a lot of fun, you know, when you think about that angle, and then all the the fun that Bert uh, Russell's willing to go yep. through. I mean, Russell is basically the sidekick. Yeah, throughout the film. I mean, yeah, yeah he gets to kill the big bad at the end. Spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't yeah. seen it. Uh, and the bit <laughs> with the lipstick. Yeah. It's just so fucking funny. <laughs> when she runs up, rubs it off with her sleeve. Yeah. He's just... Cause he, and, and he just goes on for so long with it. <laughs> you know, you would expect... That, that's normally a sight gag that's supposed to be bang, zoom, and... But no, he... he, he Yeah, I... Well, yeah. him and Kim Cattrall, just, just the thing between them was so well done. Yeah. And there was clearly some chemistry there in order to have that work. Because you would think that whole love-hate simultaneously, like where she's like, in one scene she like kisses him and then pushes him away. Yeah. And, you know, when they're trying to swim out. Russell, Russell, yeah. he's one of those. I mean, he's like Robert Downey Jr. It's, if, if you don't have any chemistry, if there's no chemistry there, it's your fault. 
because there is an actor who's totally available. Yeah. And uh, everybody everybody looks looks better when they're working. It becomes better when they're working with them. Yeah. The Moscow Times reports that Russian archaeologists discovered a medieval board game in the secret chamber of an ancient Swedish-built fortress in the northwest Russia known as Vyborg Castle. The rudimentary game was no more than a small red brick in which a maze-looking grid had been etched before the clay making up the brick was baked. According to the Moscow Times report, the board is for Nine Men's Morris, a checkers or chess-like game in which two players move pieces around attempting to take away their opponent's pieces, owing itself to a sizable litany of alternate names like um, like Merrill's and Mills, Nine Men's Morris is believed to date back over 2,000 years. Uh, when players build a mill, a row of three men on the grid-like board, they're rewarded with an opponent's game piece. Once a player is down to just two men, they're unable to form mills, and their opponent claims victory. So, old board games in Russia. I think I think that game is uh, in The Witcher video games. It's one of the side games you can play. Hmm. Interesting. And after a 13-year search, a pair of ruby slippers worn by actress Judy Garland in 1939's The Wizard of Oz has been recovered according to federal authorities. The shoes were stolen from the Judy Garland Museum in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, birthplace of Garland in 2005, when someone broke into the museum through a window and smashed the display case holding the slippers. While the slippers were insured for a million dollars, the cinematic iconography they command makes them near priceless. Based on the report from AP, four pairs of Garland-worn ruby slippers exist, Perhaps the most famous pair are those located in the National Museum of American History in Washington, D.C. Aside from this pair and the recently recovered slipper, uh, one pair was purchased by Hollywood memorabilia company, Eckleby & Company, while the other was bought by Steven Spielberg and Leonardo DiCaprio for the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences' upcoming Cinema Museum in Los Angeles. A uh, curled Arabian variant of the shoes was acquired by the late Debbie Reynolds, an actress and film historian and mother of Carrie Fisher. She had a massive cinema collection, Debbie Reynolds. Did she ever have that on display? Uh, yeah. She, they, it got auctioned off uh, a while back, but she tried to... Didn't she have a museum she, in the Debbie Reynolds? Yeah, she uh, tried. She had a small in the, uh, the Debbie Reynolds uh, hotel that was here in Vegas. Okay. So she had like a small setup. But uh, according to Carrie Fisher and uh, also her uh, Debbie Reynolds' son, she had way more to display, and they were trying to get unsuccessfully for years a massive museum built of television and film history where they were going to put a lot of that dis- uh, that collection on display because. You know, when she started collecting it, it was like stuff that they were just throwing out. Like after the production was done, it was in a dumpster, or they just let her have it. You know, oh yeah, well, we right. don't want this anymore. So uh, it not that it's not that way today. A lot of productions they save everything because either it'll get recycled to use in another film, or they want to hold on to it for archival purposes. To if there's ever another movie in the series made, a sequel, reboot, etc. They have um, reference material. But very rarely do you have uh, that stuff sold off anymore. Um, the, the Star Trek auction that was, what, 10 years ago? Where they, they sold off like all the stuff that Paramount had in a warehouse uh, 
Oh, wow. Not only they had a they had a warehouse on the lot, and then they had several warehouses in and around the Los Angeles area. Um, when I talked to Mike and Denise Okuda about it, they said that it was crazy. They said that when they walked in to the first warehouse, they said it felt like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. There was just oh. this endless rows of boxes, and all they had was a short list of box numbers, not knowing what was in any of the boxes. So they said they felt like archaeologists because they're hunting down these boxes, finding the right number, pulling it out, opening the lid, and then sort of digging famous. into the box. Oh, yes! <laughs> digging into the boxes to find, you know, props and miniatures and set pieces that had been stored in some cases for over 50 years. Wow. Because they, they found stuff all the way dating back to the original series. So, And, you know, they did the whole Christie's auction where they sold off all of that stuff. But uh, every now and then you have those types of auctions. But for the most part, the studios love to hang on to that for, you know, future productions. All right, guys. Movie props. If you could have one for your personal collection, what would it be? Mm, this is a good one. Authentic, not replica, Authentic, right? Authentic, okay. not replica. Mm. It belongs in a museum, but it's yours. I, I got one. Uh, John Hammond's walking stick, the amber with the mosquito. Oh, that's great. That yeah. would be a great one. That's yeah. a neat yeah. one. That one. Wow. Um, this is not one that... It's mean, one that I would like to have, but uh, a friend of mine has an original data prop from Goonies, the Pinchers Apparel. Are you serious? Yeah, it, it's it's in bad shape. They all are. All but, of these props are in bad shape. But it has the little spring um, uh, spring armature, so that looks like the belt buckle flips down. And he's shown it to me, and I was just like, "That is freaking incredible!" And I asked him like, how, "How did you how did you acquire this?" It turns out his father, when he was living in Oregon when they shot the film, his father helped work on the film. He was one of the local hires. So ah. at the end of the production when they were, you know, you know, things were oh, we don't want that anymore and just, you know. That's neat. Pack that up. He picked that up and took it home with him and gave it to his son saying, yeah, you know, I'm not going to do anything with it. You keep that." And so yeah, this was used in a, a movie. Yeah, a, yeah, exactly. And, you know, so I've actually got to hold this authentic prop and just go, "Wow, this is this is a piece of my my youth that I'm holding here in my hand. That is nuts when you, when you can feel that. Yeah. It's, 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 and it's, you can't even describe the feeling. It's just until you do it yourself, you don't know what it's like to connect that with something that meant so much to you that you're just like, oh, it's just a movie and, you know, all of that stuff is probably long gone. And here you are holding this piece of movie history. I would say that choose my ultimate one. Mm-hmm. Uh, People who follow me on Twitter, you've already had a clue for ages because it's been my picture. But the giant green goblin head from the semi truck. Yes. Of. Uh, oh, God damn it. The movie's escaping my head. I want the prop, and I can't think of the movie. The Steven Spielberg film? Not Spielberg. Stephen oh, King. Oh, Stephen King. Directed film. Uh, Maximum Overdrive. Okay. Mm. I love that truck. And I've wanted a model kit of that truck, but no one's ever produced one. Because you have really? to... Well, there's a big problem in the fact that you have to license that head. Right. And, there, and I've never found a model head front of Green Goblin 
that would work in that same visage okay. that you could apply it to, say, a semi truck, one that's not either making that same face or is the right size for a semi model. But I've always loved that truck with the Green Goblin front, the toy, toy truck semi. So that's mine. And that exists still. Oh, yeah? Yeah. A, that was actually thrown away. It was discovered by a junk company, I think, if I remember right. Okay. And they, f- they found it, and it wasn't in great shape, and they've restored it. Nice. And they kind of make the rounds at certain cons. So if you pay attention to the cons, you can have your picture taken with the original uh, truck front head, if you, I guess you can call it that. Nice. And from their remodel, you can actually own a little cutout square because they had to do the remodel. They had to take off the part that attached to the truck a bit. Oh, okay. So and they, those little chips they sell for like 20 bucks a pop or something. What about you, Kay? I'm thinking it's actually because uh, I have a long list of things I would love. It's, to it's have. funny. I got, I got another one too, but yeah, yeah. I I, I mean, well, because I don't know. I I'm trying to think of stuff and the prop and the one thing that keeps coming up because I'm like thinking of swords, right? You know, sure. actually, one sword to be cool would be like Valeria's sword from Conan. Uh, but well, doesn't Schwarzenegger have his hero? Yeah. Version well, of the yeah, and I mean that that thing is the the problem I have with that is it's it's a nonsense sword. It's not actually it couldn't be a functioning sword. Well, yeah. Whereas a sandal, it's weighted as a way that only Schwarzenegger yeah. can wield it. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, sandal Bergman's sword is actually based on the Chinese Dao. Okay. And it's it's actually it would actually be f- uh, functional, but. The thing that keeps coming back to me is the green crystal from Superman. Neat. The 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 crystal that he actually throws to create the fortress oh, okay. of solitude. Yeah, at the, yeah, the very beginning. That's really that's cool. cool. That is a neat one. Yeah, and I you know it's really funny because I remember that as a kid watching the movie and just the whole crystal thing was just very uh, mystical to me and just. And it's like, ooh, super science, weird, you know, information stored in a crystal, and the thing, in the way it made the fortress and everything. I was just, it, it was, it was just that, just kind of stuck well, it's a, it, with. It's an me. idea that was ahead of its time because they actually are using crystals now as a memory storage medium, yeah. where they can use lasers to etch gigabytes of data mm-hmm. into a oh, crystal. Shit, Babylon Five, they got little crystal things they throw in there. <laughs> yeah. The the no. two the two things I can think of right off the top of my head and, and you know they're both Star Trek original series related. I would love to have Spock's tricorder from okay. the original series, like the actual yeah. hero prop that you always saw him use, or his scanner from the bridge. Oh, neat! That he always looked at. Those are those are two that I have always wanted to have the original. I mean, they're probably in somebody's collection. I, I know a lot of the bridge set just got torn up and. Um, ports, parts of it got donated to a, a university in California and so forth. But uh, I love uh, Sulu's oh, uh, the, the scanner, scanner the mm-hmm. coming out of the console and everything. I still remember there was one, whichever episode it was when it f- it it first pops out. Yeah, because for me that was like the realization. Oh wait, 
Sometimes that's there, yeah, and, and sometimes yeah, it isn't. Me too. I did not realize that. Yeah, me too. Because I'm like, yeah, exactly. Because you're sitting there, and I'm like, "Where's his thing?" And then the next scene is like, "Oh, there it is." And where's wait. Sulu's thing? <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, oh my. my. Yeah. What was your <laughs> yes. other? <laughs> yes. Oh, oh my. Uh, going back to the Bond, the original uh, 1960s DB4 Austin Martin. Oh, that a car. Awesome. That's, yeah, that's a hell of a prop. Yeah. <laughs> What, what prop do you want? Write to us. Comments at UglyCouchShow.com. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Maple Leaf Match. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. The, uh, I always liked Gandalf's first staff because, you know, he comes back and he has a different staff. Oh, the gnarly right. one? Yeah, the gnarly one because he, like, he could put the crystal in it and, and light up. Also... It, they never showed it in the movie, but one detail they did, they actually carved it so he could fit his pipe into the staff. It, it was like integral to oh, sliding into okay. it. And it was that was a great touch. And so like Gandalf's staff, that's actually that's actually pretty cool. I liked the uh, now that you're talking about Bond films again, the man with the golden gun. Mm-hmm. The gun that he yeah. uses oh, okay. that he can break breaks down into ordinary right. everyday pieces of uh, things that you would have on you, like cigarette lighter, pack of cigarettes, etc. Mm-hmm. Some company made a replica of that not long ago where you could fit those together. Ooh. But uh, cool. I don't I I don't know who and how much that was because it was a long time ago. I remember seeing it. But okay, one last prop: the Marty Moose statue with the nose busted in from Clark Griswold <laughs> in. Vacation. Nice. <laughs> That's why. <what I> <laughs>